Welcome to Table Talk, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at the dynamic and exciting restaurant world. We sit down with industry leaders as they share best practices, highlight smart solutions, and discuss strategies for growth, ultimately helping food service operators learn how to affect positive change and grow their business. Hello, everyone. My name is Rachel George. I'm a project manager at Tourism HR Canada, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to the Educators Roundtable. This webcast is hosted by Caustic Media and sponsored by Tourism HR Canada. And before I introduce you to our moderator for this event, allow me to share a little about Tourism HR Canada. Approaching its 30th anniversary, Tourism HR Canada is a pan-Canadian organization with a mandate aimed at building a world-leading tourism workforce. In addition to various activities that foster the development of an inclusive and resilient workforce, our organization um, with the industry, it works with the development of an inclusive and resilient workforce. Our organization with the industry to try and attract, train and retain valuable tourism professionals by giving them the tools and resources that they need to succeed in their careers um, and entrepreneurial endeavors. The tourism and hospitality industry has been left reeling from the devastating impacts of the pandemic. Despite their best efforts, many employers were not able to retain their staff and are facing difficulty rebuilding as restrictions lift. Students have missed out on opportunities to get a foothold in the labor market, to build essential social and employability skills, and make meaningful industry connections. In light of this, Tourism HR Canada offers a range of initiatives to help the hardest hit sector recover. And this includes free business and entrepreneurial resources on tourismrecovery.ca, training, professional certification, and small business and education resources at emerit.ca, career awareness tools through Discover Tourism, and labor market data to track employment across the country and in various tourism industries. The organization will also soon be launching the Workforce Management Engine, an industry-vetted competency framework specific to tourism-related skills and knowledge. It will also lead the Tourism Workforce Recovery Task Force um, by collaborating with other national organizations. I'd particularly like to highlight the Propel Student Work Placement Program funded by the federal government. Propel creates a direct link between post-secondary students looking to enhance their workplace skills and tourism and hospitality employers who can provide paid work integrated learning. Propel basically offers student opportunities to explore career pathways and develop the work-ready skills required to secure meaningful employment upon graduation, while employers are provided with a wage subsidy for each qualifying student hired through the program. Canada's tourism sector has 250,000 fewer individuals in its workforce when compared to the month before the pandemic struck. We hope Propel will play a key role in attracting and retaining students to the varied opportunities rapidly becoming available, supporting a sustainable future for one of Canada's key economic engines. If you are interested in learning more about this program and how post-secondary institutions and 
can participate, please visit propelcareers.ca. And with that, it is now my pleasure to introduce you to today's moderator of the Educators Roundtable, Rosanna Kyra, editor and publisher of Caustic Media and its two magazines, Food Service and Hospitality and Hotelier. Over to you, Rosanna. Thank you so much, Rachel, for your introduction, but more importantly, for your sponsorship of today's roundtable discussion. Your support is very appreciated, and the work that Tourism HR is doing is very important to the continued health and vibrancy of the industry, especially through these challenging times. Today, it's my pleasure to welcome a quartet of leading hospitality educators to discuss the state of hospitality education in Canada. As we know, over the past two years, the education sector has been hugely impacted by the lingering COVID-19 pandemic. And like every sector in this industry, we've had to, it has had to uh, pivot to find its footing. Today, we will be exploring some of those issues that the education sector is facing to find out what the future looks like for hospitality education in Canada. Please join me in welcoming today's panel of leading educators. First up, is Lorraine Trotter, Dean of the Center for Hospitality and Culinary Arts and International at George Brown College in Toronto. Lorraine is a senior executive with more than 11 years of college experience and 24 years in the private sector. In 2002, Lorraine joined the International Center at GBC, developing the college's global strategy and positioning it as a leader on the international stage. Next, we have Carl Everett, current chair of the Hospitality Tourism Programs at Camosun College in Victoria, BC, where I'm sure spring has arrived earlier than it has in Ontario. Carl is a full, fully qualified journey person chef and attended University College Birmingham in the UK to achieve those credentials. During the early stages of his career, Carl was employed by Hilton International Hotels in his native country of England. In Canada, Carl worked for Delta Hotels um, and he holds the Provincial Instructor's Diploma and Diploma in Adult Education through Vancouver Community College. Carl completed an MBA in Hospitality and Tourism Management at Southern Cross University in Australia. Our next panelist is Marie-Claire Louyer. Marie-Claire has a Doctorate of Business Administration from l'Université de Sherbrooke and an MSc in International Hotel Management from Essex Business School. She has taught as at the ITHQ since 2006 in the areas of yield management, e-commerce, accommodation, operational process optimization, as well as information systems management. She's also been an associate professor in the marketing department of the Faculty of Management Sciences at l'Université Laval since 2021. Marie-Claire is a specialist in hotel management. She spent 10 years working with Hilton International in Paris, London, Montreal, and Rome. She's also managed hotel openings in Puerto Rico and Cuba. Last but not least is Stacia Elliott, director of the School of Hospitality Food and Tourism Management at the University of Guelph. Stacia teaches at the graduate level. She is chair of the Ontario Tourism Education Corporation Board, member of the Travel and Tourism Research Association International Board, and a fellow of the Ontario Hostelry Institute. 
Welcome to our four panelists, and thank you for being here today. So we have a lot to discuss today, and, um, and it's a beautiful day for a discussion on a subject that is very near and dear to all of our hearts. So I, I wanted to get started um, because it's hard to avoid this subject as we all have been dealing with it for the last two years, and that's COVID-19. And I think over the past two years, this pandemic has significantly impacted the educational sector. And so I thought we should start off trying to get a handle and perhaps get some context on how universities and colleges are different today from pre-pandemic. And also how online learning has changed the delivery model for education moving forward. So I'd like all of the panelists to answer this question. So why don't we start with Lorraine and, um, and tell us from your perspective, what has this pandemic done to the hospitality education sector? There are a couple of things that uh, might've been unexpected and have now arrived as both a curse and a gift from COVID. Um, certainly we've all adopted online delivery models and tools far, far faster than any of us would have predicted two years ago. So, and that is definitely a blessing and a curse um, because we've had to move up the learning curve pretty quickly. But on the other hand, we're so much more flexible and creative in the way we use those online tools now. It's amazing to me. I think the other thing that I'm interested in is how, um, how this has blown apart the old traditional view of where your students are. So the regional focus that we might have taken in the past is no more. And we have continuing education students from India and Austria, uh, whereas we would have traditionally looked at just the, the Toronto region. We've got baking students in, in Japan and the Middle East. Um, so that regional um, tradition I don't think exists any longer. And Carl and I from one end of the country to the other can partner now in a way that we never ever would have anticipated. So I think there's a lot of benefits that we've now found, but a lot has changed as well. I'm astounded at how quickly the schools did have to adapt after COVID happened. I mean, it was literally overnight, everything had to be reinvented and the delivery models had to change so dramatically. So kudos to all of you for being able to adapt and be so flexible at a time when it was really, really scary for everybody and um, a lot of uncertainty. So, so well done on that front. Carl, um, you're at the opposite end of the country, but I'm sure you've dealt with some of the similar um, experiences that Lorraine was mentioning. Can you fill us in a little bit on that? Yeah, thanks, Rosanna. Yeah, I mean, for us, it's, it's definitely for an institution that's, that's known for hands-on applied learning. Um, the pandemic was definitely a um, something that we had to adjust to and, and move towards uh, and shift our, our thinking. I think for us, um, the infrastructure for online learning has, has changed and improved drastically. Um, we were never known as an online learning institution. And I think now we've, we've reached and built some good capacity within the institution. Um, so capacity for instructors has been has increased drastically. I've seen that in my own area, in my own department. Um, I think one of the positive outcomes is, is definitely accessibility for, for learners. Um, students now, I'm finding, are taking um, their courses in a, 
in a hybrid mode where they'll come in and do their applied classes and perhaps take some of their um, academic classes, accounting classes, finance classes online. They don't need to be um, in that vicinity uh, the entire time, which gives a great, de great deal of flexibility for, for learners. So um, I, think, I think that's definitely a positive thing. We, in our School of Business, we've seen um, in terms of offerings for courses, um, we now offer 30% of our courses online um, while still maintaining 70% and, and that still that, that applied learning um, approach to what to what we do best. We're not we're not going to be an applied learning institute, but we definitely we're able to, to, to put it out. The, we're, we're able to be more accessible to our learners and put out a quality product uh, to, to students. And, and Carl, would you um, would you expect that that thirty percent um, number that you just quoted would continue to be at that level, or would that even possibly become higher? Um, I think it could possibly become higher, especially uh, you know as as you start to look at third and fourth year level classes in undergraduate areas. I think I think those areas definitely will will increase um, in demand. I do I do honestly believe anecdotally that there's still a need for the hands-on applied learning component of hospitality education. I don't think that's going away. I see that, I see that flourishing. We were fortunate throughout the pandemic to be able to keep our labs running under, under protocols and safety protocols. And, um, and that whilst, whilst numbers enrollment diminished over the two years, they're starting to rebound. Um, that need has never been greater. I agree wholeheartedly, and I think a lot of teachers and students would would be very happy to hear that that won't get, um, you know, that won't be eliminated totally because this is the hospitality industry after all. It's all about people and you know being together. So, um, Marie Claire, um, you have some different probably experiences in Quebec uh, or similar. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how the pandemic affected your school? Yes, indeed. Well, similarly to Lauren and Carl, we, we went online uh, immediately at the beginning of the pandemic. And uh, we've been staying online for quite a long time. Uh, however, we're back uh, in presence right now and we keep uh, about 20 to 30% online as well. Um, what this has done to us is uh, maybe change a little bit the way we, we teach. Um, Students during the um, first round of the, of the crisis of the pandemic needed a lot more empathy and support. So we've grown into a more personalized coaching role as opposed to traditional teaching role. And um, we also have developed closer contact with the industry. Uh, the online, um, we could not uh, send our student uh, in internship, for example. So what we did is that we actually called the uh, professional into our virtual classroom through a video interview, and we were able to uh, make them follow the crisis management in real time. Uh, so that linked with the industry was really very interesting and we're continuing that right now as we have students that are able to develop project uh, with the, the 
Magdalen Island, for example, and what we are based in Montreal, but they can support some industry players in that area. So we, we really work differently with the industry uh, partners since the uh, since the COVID. Also, you know, teaching um, strategies, teaching approach, um, we do use video to actually, um, so that students can look at them before class. And we dedicated more time in class time for discussion, for presentation, for interactive teamwork and coaching again, the coaching role of the professor. So this has really uh, tinted the way we worked profoundly and I believe uh, permanently. That's great. Sounds like some really good changes on that front. Mm -hmm. Stacia, how about from your end at the University of Guelph? Um, how did you find the pandemic affected uh, the school and, and how you delivered education? Well, we do more things like this. So thank you, Rosanna and KML and um, Rachel and Tourism HR Canada. Um, we, we might not be doing events like this if it weren't for, for COVID. So I have to think there's a bright size side. But I... I I don't want to repeat what my colleagues have said, but I'll summarize it this way. In March 2020, the future arrived ahead of schedule and, and we had to transition And it really pushed us to innovate and invest in technology and in training of uh, faculty. Um, and, uh, and, and that investment continues. So, so looking ahead, we will, yeah, don't give up your Zoom license just yet. Um, we will... I could see um, hybrid being something that we continue to offer, but you know we're learning to do this really quite effectively where what we've seen is the online will perhaps replace a large lecture size hall delivery of hundreds of students and, and provide more opportunity to engage with students um, and provide students that access to um, asynchronous material that perhaps they didn't have in such a flexible way before. And then we, we reserve those face-to-face -face times for smaller groups where there's greater engagement in experiential activities like cases and industry projects and simulations and hands-on labs. Um, so we end up with this fusion of campus and augmented campus experiences that I think actually are, are, are going to continue to just push us to be even more innovative and engage students. I love the idea of bringing those two realities together. I know it creates a lot of changes for professors and for students as well in terms of how they learn. But once you're able to, to really make that work effectively, I think that could be a great model for the future. Um, when we pandemic, you know, it gets blamed for a lot of things. You know, the last two years have been brutal for everybody. So it's easy to point the finger at COVID. And this is why, you know, enrollment is down. It's because of COVID. But if you look at statistics over the last few years, I think some of those declines had actually already started prior to COVID. And when you look at, at uh, I think, across the board in Canada, I know that STR had done a survey uh, recently and they had um, quoted some numbers about significant declines in the bachelor programs and master's programs. So this is actually, it was happening before, let's be real. It got exacerbated through COVID for sure. Um, let's talk a little bit about enrollment. What is your school enrollment like today compared to pre-COVID? And what kind of uh, decline have you experienced? But also, 
when we look at global and domestic, how does that fare in, uh, in that kind of equation? So Carl, maybe I can start with you on this one. Yeah, so um, yeah, you're, you're correct. I mean, pre-pandemic, we, we were starting to see some declines in, in um, particularly domestic enrollment. I wouldn't say international enrollment was declining. In fact, the international was actually increasing um, mm -hmm. on our side of the country. Um, but I, I would, um, where we're at right now is we're definitely starting to, um, you know, our numbers are starting to increase. As a school um, for enrollment, we're about 45% of our enrollments are international and 55% are domestic. At a program level, we're at about 70% international, 30% domestic. Um, we're still seeing um, a decline in, in, in domestic enrollment, which is, a, which is a little concerning. Still high demand for international um, enrollments, um, and and I think some of the barriers for internet, you know, it, for overall program enrollments was was due to for international students not being able to get to of course uh, into Canada due to travel restrictions, and primarily because of the the nature and design of of some of our programming, which required students to be in on campus with doing some of the practical labs um, they couldn't be replicated online mm -hmm. so we had to um, so they those, those were kind of clear identified barriers for students to get to get to our programming area um, i mean the good news is that we are starting to see numbers increase um, from, from our winter enrollment um, and the fall is looking um, looking much better um, but it was concerning definitely a concerning um, for, for, for our industry. Um, and I think uh, in British Columbia, generally speaking, anecdotally, enrollments are, are, are down overall. Um, there's, there's been a decline in domestic uh, enrollment, um, which is interesting um, as, 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 you know, demand for more for people staying in the workforce um, and, and students not returning uh, or looking at post-secondary. Um, is, is definitely an interesting challenge for us as a as a sector. Okay, Lorraine, how does the experience at George Brown compare? Um, what are your numbers like? Yeah, you know, something you said reminded me, Rosanna, that back in two thousand and twelve, when I was just moving into the um, the dean role, um, I was moving out of international and immigrant education, and the federal government was telling us that all net labor force growth was going to come from international and immigrant populations and indigenous, but primarily international and immigrant populations. So we had the data then in terms of this domestic decline. Mm -hmm. And it has in fact unfolded as predicted way back then. Uh, for us in the heart of downtown Toronto where COVID had lots of media attention um, we saw uh, declines in terms of enrollment, particularly on the hospitality side, much stronger than on the culinary side. Hospitality, depending on the, the point over the last couple of years, we were off as much as 30% in terms of enrollment. And uh, culinary, 15 to 20%. Um, we gathered some data that's a, a tiny bit out of date now, but it's the latest we have, about the GTA region. And the colleges in the GTA region collectively were down 30% year one to year two of COVID. So that's a very big gap in the graduates who would be coming out at this time and, and over subsequent years, a very big gap. 
At George Brown, we're um, about 50 to 55% international. And um, it depends on the time of the year, but, but we're well over the 50% mark in terms of international enrollment now. Quite interesting when you look at those stats play out that way. Um, Marie-Claire, is the experience in Quebec different or similar? It's, uh, it's quite similar. We, even though we saw a decline of 20% in one of our um, bachelor degree, but that was not just before because of COVID. Actually, during COVID, we haven't seen that much decline. The decline had started in the past five years before. And um, we attribute that to maybe a lack of sector attractivity to the younger generation. Um, we launched a new program during the COVID and uh, we were able to actually enroll the same number as we had in our previous program uh, in, in that brand new program. But that number is still half of what it was uh, five years ago. So the decline has started, uh, I would say, around five years before the, uh, the COVID, really. Interesting. And we do not have a lot of uh, foreign students, so it's really domestic. You have more domestic in, in your yep. school. Yes. Um, Stacia, how does that reality shape up for you? Well, I, I do like to look at this beyond just COVID. And, and I find it really interesting that educational programs can model business cycles. So for Guelph, we can look at a, our back to our startup phase in the 70s and 80s, where we grew from 40 students to 400 students, almost all domestic students. Incredible. Then the growth stage in the 90s, 2000s, where we added co-op and uh, study abroad and graduate programs, still primarily domestic, until we reached our maturity phase, just like a business, where we had this strong reputation internationally. And that's when we started to attract international students. They reached a peak in 2017 at 60% of our incoming cohort, which was really just amazing in a 10-year period from almost 6% to 60%. Um, but then that also caused a very sharp decline. Um, we actually started to lose our international enrollments before COVID when the um, Canada-China Huawei situation began. Right. And then COVID hit our domestics and our internationals. Um, and so we went from, you know, bringing in a hundred students to bring in a handful of students. So one of the questions that begs, and somebody in our audience has actually posed this as we're speaking, is why is foreign interest so much greater than domestic from a student perspective? Anybody want to tackle that question? Could I perhaps comment? I think there's a, a couple of factors at play. Um, I guess I would actually compare uh, international student interest in culinary and hospitality to international student interest in other fields, because international student interest in coming to Canada is extremely high, period. Um, I think hospitality uh, is particularly attractive because it is understood. It's a global sector. And so the, the potential to work in a multi, uh, you know, multinational brand in a hotel or, or some of the, the high, um, you know, the, the highly visible 
global chefs. Uh, you know, there's, there's a sense that this is a business where the skills are transferable. Mm-hmm. They could return to their home country. They could stay in Canada. There are big brands, recognized education. So it's, it's an attractive sector to enter compared to other choices that international students might have. And the reality is part of this is the demographics we were speaking about earlier. There's not the population of domestic students compared to the huge interest there is from an international point of view. Sure. Um, I I guess it all, sorry, it also begs the question, is there a perception problem at play here in terms of why today students don't want to go into education and and obviously later the industry? What's at play here? I know that that's a loaded question, but realistically, we're experiencing some really severe labor shortages today that are going to be huge for the industry. And I think at the crux of it, we have to understand why aren't students wanting to go into this field as much as they were previously? Does anybody want to tackle that? Stacia? Well, you mentioned the STR survey. And um, in addition to just asking institutions across North America, what happened to your enrollments in the past five years? And as you said, um, that Rosanna, that 70% had experienced declines in enrollments in the past five years. And and actually another 6% stayed the same, another 18% increased somewhat slightly, only 6% increased significantly, which if you look against in contrast, what was happening to our industry growth, it it kind of explains partly why we're in this labor shortage. Um, But the survey also asked why, what what are you seeing? What are the reasons? And there was a range, but um, there was a big chunk where parents actually were not seeing opportunities in in the um, industry for careers for their children. And if you're paying for your tuition, that's, that's quite an influential um, factor for the, some of the reasons you that have been mentioned. Um, but the other, from the student perspective, there was uh, quite a few responses where students were interested in general business degrees. I think this is a big shift that, that we can't ignore. Um, and, and I think the instability that, that uh, was quite evident in the past two years perhaps mm-hmm. have youth considering their options and keeping them a little broader than previously. But I think this is something we can work with. I mean, certainly in our revisioning of the program, that's that's something that we're considering is how we um, connect and offer opportunities for studying hospitality along with, well, I, I can tell you the in-demand programs, even for this coming fall, accounting, finance, management, marketing, really broad areas of business, but those are all skills needed in hospitality. And, and so I think there's opportunity for us to, um, to work with that. Great. Thank you. Lorraine, did you want to add to that? Well, I just, I just wanted to add something. Um, the, the general media have done a great job of, of capturing the pain and the disappointments of the last couple of years, and and you know culture issues, our our, uh, our challenges are well articulated by the general media and influencing those parents that you're talking about, Stacia. Um, we inside the sector 
have great media like you and others who tell the, uh, the story using data and real examples of what the opportunities are, but we are very, very good at talking to ourselves. And we haven't done enough to, to take those stories and the data mainstream. So I think that there's a real opportunity for us to start moving beyond um, you know, our, our sector and um, the discussions that we know so well, and particularly sharing the data. All kinds of organizations have that data, including our great sponsor today, Restaurants Canada, you know, lots of places where that data and those stories are available. How do we get that into the hands of people who don't understand our sector? I think that's a very important point, Lorraine. And I noticed, I think it was this morning, I was looking at my social media feed and I noticed that um, there's a new campaign in Australia where they're trying to promote the hospitality industry to people, you know, to join up. And it was very effective. And I just wonder if there is more opportunity in this industry to, to do more of that kind of campaign to, um, to tell people what it's like to work in hospitality and what it can be like. Because I think we haven't done that consistently as an industry. I think it goes in, you know, in cycles, um, but perhaps it speaks to that need for something more consistent uh, down the road to, to change that dynamic. Um, so my next question, you know, I, I wanna maybe direct this to Marie Claire. We're living in a very disrupted world these days and, you know, pandemic notwithstanding, we've been in a disruptive world for many, many years now due to the changing technology and the growth of technology and the fact that we're, um, you know, on demand 24-7 in so many industries these days. But how can today's hospitality programs become more relevant in this evolving and changing world? Um, and, and how different, really, can formalized education be today than it was in the past? Um, I don't think students are the same. None of us are the same. Obviously, things have changed dramatically. How do we keep up with that? So, Marie-Claire, what's your perspective on that? Well, um, right now, career progression in the industry are so rapid that students need to be, I believe, even more prepared than before. And they need to be prepared with um, <clears throat> transversal skills. They need to be prepared with core soft skills. Uh, they need um, a solid customer and employee experience uh, management skills and fundamental business skills, like Statia and uh, Lauren were saying. And um, what we did is actually, I was mentioning it earlier on, we actually launched a new program and we decided to open that program to a lot of different fields. So we, we look at different hospitality sector. We look at, at accommodation, we look at food and beverage, commercial, recreational. It could also uh, go uh, beyond conference and attraction and the traditional tourism uh, sectors. Because the skills that we are actually teaching to our students are skills that are really transversal and could be applied in very different industry. And because we believe also that our industry is going to, to change, that business model will evolve, uh, we decided to uh, adopt uh, that vision of that new program. And we also develop a new um, pedagogy uh, approach 
a new teaching approach, a new teaching strategy, which we call active pedagogy. And uh, we put the student in real context. We put them uh, faced with uh, um, case study, faced with real challenges. We evaluate them in real business situation as well as much as possible. And all of the professors that are teaching in that new program have been trained with that new active learning pedagogy. So that's a little bit the way we did answer. Uh, those um, challenges of uh, of today. We also want to introduce more flexibility into our program in the curriculum progression. And we are revising, actually right now we're in the process of revising one of our program in that sense, in trying to make it uh, possible that students will have different uh, curriculum progression. We also included the fact of um, developing shorter certificate. So we have 30 credit certificate, but we also offer nine and 15 credit certificate, just to make it easier maybe for a for, um, professional to work and study at the same time. That's great. So they can combine the two while they're working. Exactly. That's yeah. wonderful. Uh, Lorraine, George Brown has been noted for a lot of innovations over the last decade or two, and you've done a lot of great work there. Um, can we focus a little bit more from your end on, um, on some of those innovations that uh, you've, you've um, introduced in terms of programming uh, that appeal to a wider audience? Now, one of the things that we learned from students during COVID was um, that they wanted a choice in terms of how they accessed education. We offered them a choice. We offered them online or we offered them a hybrid model. Um, and, they, and they chose. And that started to show us how much flexibility students wanted to have. And so now, in addition to looking at program development and modification, adoption of technology, we're trying to figure out how to change delivery models so that we can compress programming into three days so that people can work, as Mary Claire talked about. How to modularize courses so that students could take, repeat, take again if they needed to. Um, trying to find ways to allow students to come into school and out the following semester and then back in as the labor market changes, as their seasonality applies. So we, we used to be very focused on a September intake. Now we have three intakes throughout the year that facilitates that. So from doing video of professors doing culinary uh, demonstrations and students submitting their creations for assessment, all the way to trying to turn the delivery model on its head and offer many more pathways, micro-credentials, all the, all the choices that students in their many, many situations want to have. That for us, that delivery model innovation is the next frontier and what we're using all of our learning from COVID to help us pursue. Wonderful, that, that sounds pretty exciting and, and fresh from, from uh, George Brown's perspective. Carl, did you want to add anything to that in terms of uh, any new programs at, uh, at your college? 
Well, I think it's just being open to the fact that the 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 the, the reality of the types of students that um, we're working with and listening to what students are asking for. Um, the 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 choice the choice piece. So you know, picking up on Lorraine's there, students appreciate the choice and and that flexibility of how how they do their learning. Um, I think the other reality is that we're dealing with this economic reality, um, the cost of, of living um, in, in Victoria and indeed other parts of Canada is, is, is impacting learners in the way they want or can learn. Um, many, many are working multiple jobs um, and, and many are, are challenged with balancing the cost of, of, of living in a, in a, in a city with accessing education and they're having to make some very difficult choices so we have to be as educators as institutions dialed into that and understand where students are coming from has the online model made that a little bit more accessible for students or has that not really come into play as much um yes and no i think i think it's made it easier for them to in terms of juggling schedules and building schedules the reality is they still have to pay tuition and the reality is they still have to rent, uh, pay for rent uh, and, 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 and live and, and affordability. So those are you know, social issues that are going on around education, around students' worlds. Sure. No, that makes sense. Station, the next question I want to direct to you, and I know the University of Guelph has made a big decision recently to uh, curtail um, its very popular HFTM program. And... Um, you know, that's been a highly regarded program for, for I think, 50 years, which is pretty amazing. Um, a lot of people in the industry felt that the school maybe abandoned that program. And, and maybe, you know, that choice of word, I'm not sure if that's the right choice. But uh, I know when talking to people in the industry, there was a lot of surprise at that when it happened. What does it say about hospitality education moving forward? And I, I know the school is refreshing its program and planning to launch uh, new. Um, can you tell us a little bit about those changes and what that means for students and the industry, um, especially you know at the during the COVID time when they're when it really caught everybody off guard. Um, yes, it, it's it's been hard, but I will say I will quote my leadership in saying that it's it's a pause of the program, not a pause of our commitment to the sector. Um, and it, it, it is just like that COVID transition that pushed us to innovate. We are, we are being pushed to revision a program. Um, and, and I think a lot of what my colleagues have said, you're, you're going to see in a revi revitalized program that, um, well, let me start by saying we, we've always been a relatively small program, 100 students uh, in a cohort um, with a focus on developing leaders for our industry. And so going forward, that will be our positioning is really focused on advanced market needs. Um, in terms of capability, uh, we're going to be looking at much more fluidity of our offerings so that students can combine hospitality with with this depth of course offerings that we have in everything from real estate to international business, um, and also flexibility in terms of delivery because of this hybrid on-campus, augmented campus um, way that we will have a, a format of courses too. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm quite 
hopeful with the commitment of uh, our alumni who have been helping us in revisioning their program and our policy advisory board and our students uh, and our dedicated faculty that we'll, we'll find our way to a program that'll get us, get us forward to the next 50 years. And, and when will those changes take effect, Stacia? 2023. So the pause is the pause is coming into effect this fall. Okay. Well, they're huge changes, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out uh, during this uh, challenging period for the industry. Um, Medi Claire, I, I wanted to ask you how we've talked a lot about change today, and and you know courses needing to change, and the realities needing to change. How do you think hospitality programs need to change to keep up with what's going on in the industry and the world? Um, you know, we've seen a lot of different um, initiatives over the last few years, co-op, virtual learning, online modules. What is there that is available to tomorrow's students? Um, well, I believe that, uh, and, and as my colleague already mentioned, flexibility is going to be key so that students can uh, work along and study along. Um, so different certificate with different lengths of time, um, different way of adding up to a degree and going towards a, a degree. But also what we have seen uh, being uh, successful was um, co-op uh, and internship eventually. So the introduction of a program with, um, we introduced three internship into our brand new program, for example, so that when the students get their grade, they have a 10 months experience that they can put on their curriculum vitae. Um, the, the next thing would be uh, also um, real situation-based learning. And um, we, we like to work closer with the industry, with some association, whether it is um, to allow the student to actually, as they are studying, have also some professional certification. So to, to have those reconnection as well. So I'm talking about maybe a certified uh, revenue management certification or in any other field, but that are uh, very, uh, specific to uh, some association and some uh, um, work um, position eventually. So this would be done at another place, not the school necessarily, but you would incorporate it into your... Um, it is incorporated into our curriculum, actually. We have, we have incorporated the CRMA, the Certified Revenue Management Analyst, into our new program. And... Um, we, it was presented to the student and the student really saw a great advantage into that. Interesting. In terms, yeah, in terms of uh, positioning themselves for their future career and uh, having a plus on their curriculum vitae, I guess. Even though right now they do not have any problem to find a job when they quit, when they finish the study, but uh, yes. So we're looking into that type of, uh, of approach. Okay, great. Um, we have a, a question from the audience and I wanted to throw it out to the panel and you know, whoever wants to answer it is, is welcome. Um, the question is, I don't see a lot of capstone projects in post-secondary to solve real world problems. Are programs going to include industry operators to help set work, real world context for what is being taught? 
i.e. bringing in a hotel operator to talk to the students about a real problem and having them work together to solve it. Anybody want to tackle that question? I can say that's really what we're doing in our new program. And that's what uh, technology are allowing us to do as well. Uh, meaning that we can invite industry players into our classroom in an easy way, thanks to, to technology. And we have some seminar type of classes whereby the students are presenting a project, uh, a real uh, situation, a real professional project to uh, people from the industry at the end of the session, yeah. Lorraine, did you want to add to that? Well, we have the happy accident of geography and that we live in the middle of many, many hospitality and culinary uh, industry partners. And so we've, we're quite involved and, and they are quite involved in the capstones and, and culminating assignments and experiences that students have from special events, doing events that the venues in Toronto couldn't tell the difference between you know, a graduate's event and, and professionals, uh, from taking over restaurants and delivering incredible activities and, and experiences. Uh, from a virtual uh, placement during COVID to uh, partnering with partner with uh, industry partners all across the country. So I think um, we, we probably aren't telling the story well enough about how engaged our students are with industry and how strongly we're, we're giving them real life experiences. And that's a reminder to do a better job. Um, because I know from my colleagues at other colleges, and we're hearing from across the country, uh, this is a very, very high priority for our students when they choose to come to the kind of education we offer, and from international students in particular. So I think you can rest assured that that work is being done, but we need to engage our um, others in it, obviously, to expand the, the number of placements, the number of restaurant takeovers, the number of hotel administrators participating with us. Get that message out. So perhaps again, it's a, it's a case of um, improving the marketing around the fact that it does exist, but telling people about it, as you mm -hmm. said. Um, Stacia and Carl, did you want to add to that? Sure. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, back to Lorraine's point, I think we don't do a very good job of telling us our own stories. Um, I, I, in my department, I could have a full-time communications expert telling stories about things that we do on a daily basis, the outreach we do to our local community, um, the events that we put on in our local community. I, I mean, I drive our college media relations part, department nuts with sending <laughs> stories there all the time because because we're, we're living it, we're doing it, we're, we're, we're solving social problems. But there's a limited bandwidth from, from communications uh, to get these stories out. And, and so, yeah, it, it, it's that, um, it's the ability to, to tell the story better, um, but it is happening for sure. Uh, capstone projects, solving social problems are, are embedded in, in, in our curriculum. Wonderful. Stacia, did, did you want to add your piece? Uh, ditto on the, on the capstone. And I, I would say, you know, in my day as a student, we had those written Harvard business review cases that we, we, we've moved away from those to live cases where definitely there's industry involved. Um, but we also introduce cases and um, bring in industry in first year, first semester. 
uh, to all 800 plus of our BCom students. We run, we run a huge case competition and um, the industry partners are just always so amazed at the caliber of the presentations by these first year, first term students. It, it just, um, it's one of my favorite days because it really reminds us all, I'm sure we see this, right? Our students are our best ambassadors. So sure. the more opportunity to get them in front of industry and uh, make those connections, the better. So I had an interesting question from someone in the audience, and I don't, I don't know who would like to answer this, but they're asking, I would like to hear from you about the possible place of the metaverse or VR in the coming years within your programs. I think that's a great question. Who wants to tackle that one? I can tell you we've already during the last two years done some experimentation with VR. Um, and we were starting from ground zero in our division. Um, and so we learned a lot about how difficult it is, how expensive it is, um, and the, the cost of equipment to, to, to equip students to participate. Um, so I think we had ambitious, perhaps a little naive goals um, in my case, um, when I sent people off to research this and see how we could adopt these tools, we've come back to a much more, I think, rational, stable, grow our skills and grow the applications uh, for VR. Um, we've done some work in the butchery area that we've shared across colleges in Ontario to develop technology that and video that can be used. And we looked at VR in that context, but we need to walk before we run and we need to walk very quickly because technology is moving fast. Um, but uh, the, I think it's here to stay and we need to catch up and be able to adopt tools a lot faster than, uh, than we were over the COVID period, despite our <laughs> grandiose ambitions. Especially because I think that demographic will demand it, right? They're, they're living in that world every day. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what plays out. Let's shift our, our gears a little bit and move to a, a topic that everybody's been talking about for the last several months. And, you know, to be honest, as long as I've been in the industry, we've heard about labor shortages. I don't think that's anything new. It's been quite um, a consistent theme. But I think in the last six months, we've heard a lot more about labor shortages than ever before. Um, it's serious. And I think a lot of operators are losing sleep, um, you know, thinking about it. The schools play a huge role in producing, you know, tomorrow's leaders. And you're struggling with enrollment declines. You're struggling with new delivery models of, uh, of delivering education. How are these shortages being dealt with from the education point of view? What are you doing to be able to tackle this problem. And there's a need obviously for industry to work together with educators, but where do we start? It's such a huge topic and it's, it's something that we need to tackle in a big way. So I'd like to hear from everybody about this and say, you know, and get your opinion on what do we need to do? What are the two or three immediate steps that need to be done? So I don't know who wants to start this, but, um, I think we should try to all tackle this, this question. Any volunteers? I can start. Uh, 
what I see is definitely uh, innovation and, uh, and collaborative innovation, uh, meaning industry with education, uh, industry with research. And I was going to say, to make a link with the previous question that we are doing some research project where we include VR uh, to, to um, actually in the menu, in the restaurant and in the way to uh, add value to uh, any menu. Um, and maybe to save a little bit on, on service time as well. Uh, so I, I believe this is a, this is a key. We have an expertise center called Experisance, who is very much involved into uh, looking at uh, the role of the technology and how the technology can uh, help for up to a certain extent to uh, labor shortage. But it's not; uh, it will not replace labor in our industry. That's for sure. Okay, Carl. How about uh, from your end? Yeah, I, I think um, I mean we're, we're very fortunate to have co-op and internships. Um, you know, we're sending out 50, 55 students next week. Um, there's there's no shortage of positions, but I think it's it's understanding. Um, you know, all of the above with in terms of collaboration with industry, understanding where the gaps are in, in specific positions so that we can align our, 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 our internships and, and, and co-ops with the industry. Uh, I think though there's never been a bigger need for, for co-op and internship right now. Um, and, and especially um, the, the demand from the industry is, is flowing through, but stronger collaboration through program advisory committees and, and using that creative um, thinking uh, to, to look at ways to, you know, it starts, I think, uh, on the recruitment end of, of getting people uh, and, and high school graduates and people that are, are in their gap years to come into the industry to make it attractive, to make it look um, like a viable career. And getting away from this linear career thinking that, that we've been living in for the last 20 years, students don't are not linear career think they want to do multiple careers. And I think our mm -hmm. industry has an opportunity here. There's a window. There's a window to put that out on the table and say, you don't have to take a, it, it doesn't have to be a linear path. Yes, you need the basics. Yes, you need the fundamentals. But look at all the cool directions you could take this in. And I think, I think that's part of that imaging and selling the industry as being uh, a viable career, a, a viable long-term career. So and, and more many, fluid. many things there. Yeah. And more fluid, like you said. So it's not yeah. just A to, to Z. It's like, it could be anything and everywhere. Exactly. Um, yeah. uh, Stacia, how about from your perspective? Well, I, I'll start. I think we're starting from a positive foundation, let's say, because I would say in our sector, we have always had very good relationships amongst educators, associations, industry, but it's perhaps never been so urgent that we leverage those collaborations and cooperations. Um, and I, I come back to what we're looking to um, provide in our new program is that that depth of transferable business skills you combine that with introducing the students to the exciting global careers in hospitality and tourism. So a little bit of that marketing PR side. And I think this will really help to, to build the talent that's required to address the, the labor shortage. To, how can we get there? Um, 
we need to go beyond clearly what we've been doing. So yes, for, for myself, we have formal co-op programs, but let's initiative initiate um, shorter internships. We have um, credit for courses. Let's initiate work integrated credits. Um, I, I just think there's so much more that, that we will find that we can do together that's going to address the student's desire for all those things we've talked about, you know, flexibility and um, uh, it, it, moving away from that four year on campus degree, essentially. That makes sense in this day and age for sure. Lorraine, what would you like to add? I think of this in two extreme ways. So the micro tactics. For me, the micro tactics are about enabling access. So down in the weeds, um, implementing universal design uh, for learning so that all populations, including those who are differently abled, can be in school and get credentials. Um, thinking about cost and Sure, there's lots of parts of our sector that have been hard hit by COVID, but some actually did okay. Alcohol might be one of those examples. So going after donations for scholarships to enable access, reaching out to underrepresented populations, um, making sure that students have access to career planning, which is no longer so available in high schools, um, so that they make choices about where they want to go. Uh, make, making sure that they have choices. We've talked all a lot about the online and hybrid um, delivery models that make it possible for people to access education that wouldn't necessarily been able to from remote areas or wherever. So the, the micro tactics to enable access and the macro marketing message. For me, those are the two places to work. How about role of mentorship. I, one of the questions from the audience is the industry has to stop thinking linear, linearly. It needs to look at personal uh, personnel development, mentorship, and coaching. I know George Brown has done a great job with mentorship programs. I've been involved in them myself. Um, what, what role does mentorship and coaching play in this new kind of approach to education? Anybody want to answer that question, Carl? Sure. I, I mean, I think going back to the internship co-op models, I mean, well-designed and well-built co-op internship models have, have that built into that by design. You know, you, you have that, you, the assignments and the assessment pieces is, is formally done um, and, and informally done. And it's, it's a partnership that's created between student and supervisor or employee or employer, sorry. And, and those are, that's something that can be done at a very micro, you know, in the weeds level, right? It's, it's something that's, it's very tangible. And, 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 and it can build into a retention strategy for uh, an organization, for a, an employer, for, a, you know, for a business. It, it, it's, it's, it, it, those are the things that immediately have impact um, and, and can, be, can be done very, very easily. And we've seen evidence of that done with, with well-designed co-op work terms with good assessment that create relationships between student and employer. A partnership is so vital for sure. Um, another question from the audience. Um, they want to know if any of the curriculum preparing future managers 
uh, is focusing on how to actually manage the labor shortage as they are future le leaders who will have to deal with this issue. I thought that was an interesting um, perspective. Anybody want to tackle that? That's a hard one. Well, it's hard we enough to deal with them today, right? The labor shortages. <laughs> well, we, we can say we, we try to um, uh, teach how to innovate, how to be creative, how to be able to um, not only react, but uh, preempt situation. So in that sense, I think uh, labor shortage uh, is also part of that. And the reality is that as those students are within our schools, they also have another two jobs at the same time. So they are already multitasking uh, generation. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, Can I just say thank you to whoever raised that point. Uh, I've learned a lot from today's discussion, but that never occurred to me. And to the George Brown folks who are on this podcast, Take some notes and we'll talk about how we think about integrating that very challenge because it was a brilliant insight. It, it very, was very the key. focus of our um, hospitality and tourism case competition this year was uh, a hotel case. And the, and the problem that the students were to address was um, attracting and retra retaining um, talent. Interesting. Um, and, you know, they're very creative um, yeah. Well, they're young and they see things differently and that's what, that's what you want. Right. Um, another question from the audience or a comment and a question. Um, this person says, I get a sense that one big challenge for the or ROI of the post-secondary investment is that industry forces them to do their time in quotations, hotel management graduates have to work in front of, uh, you know, in front desk positions, Culinary arts grads have to work as prep cook positions, et cetera. What can we do to support these students? I don't know if I understood well the question, but uh, eventually we have no longer that view of internship. Uh, we do not require that student uh, go through certain position at all. We have um, become more flexible in that sense, as we require, yes, an internship, we require an internship report and we supervise those internship, but we allow students to develop personal project as well. Okay. Anybody else want to add to that, Carl? Well, I think it starts with it in the classroom with career development. Like, where where do you want to go? How do you want to do it? How do I get there? And 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 I'm making some alignment with the industry, so that when an when a student goes goes into that workplace, they have a plan. They have a long term plan, and and there's some there's some alignment, and there's less disjointedness then between for all stakeholders. You know, the the employer knows what they're getting. And, and the student knows where they need to go. And so there's, there's a bit more long-term long -term planning and, and less kind of reactiveness to um, where, well, this is, this is what you need to do. It, it has, has a bit of a, a structure to it. Um, and there's, there's a means to an end for the student. And the student has, it can get excited about that from a retention perspective. Great comments, thank you. One more question from the audience, and then we'll wrap up with a few other questions to, uh, to all the panelists. But 
This person wants to know, is there any support given to employers to make them better mentors and coaches? I can see everybody's minds <laughs> contemplating. We have a that. whole master's program, a master's of leadership program. Um, maybe we those enrollment numbers up, Stacia. Micro credential that. Uh, well, the grad programs weren't put on pause. Um, yeah, no, that's another really good opportunity. I would say. When when we send um, students out on placements, we send them to employers who have um, been briefed. I think is the best way to describe it. And this varies between colleges, but in general, there is a, um, you know, preparatory documents and, and um, kind of guidelines for how to best support the placement and how to ensure that the student outcomes are met. Um, I think it's a gap for sure that we could do more. Um, the, the students who go out on placement are quite uneven in terms of their exposure to the workplace, depending on what their background is and where they've come from around the world. And so like the comment about mentorship, um, being able to prepare students and the employers that are receiving them in a highly not born in Canada context like mentorship for students in a not born in Canada context, those are really valuable and going to need us to double down to, to prepare workplaces so that they can take students and have them integrate successfully. Thank you, Lorraine. Um, there was an I interesting- I would like to, oh, sorry. Sure. Go ahead. I can, uh, I can have that we do have an employee experience management a certificate that is, I believe, a nine credit. So that is available for uh, for people to um, that are in working that can follow that certificate. Wonderful, thank you. Interesting comment from one of our audience too, um, who says eyes need to be wide open. Necessary prep for your career to work in all departments. You don't just graduate and become Gordon Ramsay. And I think sometimes the accusation is that, you know, students sometimes have unrealistic expectations that they come into school and come out and own their own restaurant and be another Gordon Ramsay. But any, any comments on that? Do, does there have to be a shifting of realities for students as well in this new marketplace? Or is that, uh, is that a story for another day? Maybe a mutual shift, um, I think. Uh, you know, we're, we're in a labor shortage. Um, I think students are quite realistic and realize that um, they need experience if this is their going to be their career. Um, but if it's there's a way to gain frontline entry level experience where you see opportunities for career advancement and growth that can be absolutely valuable. And so if that's what we can provide to students, then I think it's it's a win win you're going to retain those, those students if they see opportunities um, in front of them. Thank you, Stacia. Excellent points. Lorraine, did you want to add something to that? Well, I think we can carry that message to the students when we have them in front of them. But since we have industry in front of us now, um, I might suggest that um, what we hear from students and what we observe in the population that, that are in our hands now 
um, is a, a need to understand what a career path would look like um, and ambition and um, impatience. And so those employers who can um, communicate what the opportunities are in their organization in the context of this reality, this workforce, those are the folks who are going to attract the best talent. And, and this, is a, this is definitely a topic for another time, but the issues of accommodation uh, and the living wage are the things that students care about. And accommodation is a, is a national topic on many dimensions, but it's certainly something that students are sensitive to when they're looking at employment opportunities. So if I have a, if I have a last little message that I can suggest to employers is that you better figure out what the challenges for accommodation are in your region around your business, because that's going to be a barrier to your uh, recruitment to terrific positions. It's a, it's a new reality. Those are all very good points, Lorraine, and, and they speak to uh, one of the comments from somebody in the audience actually kind of re reinforces that, but it says the industry itself has to be responsible for promoting the industry. Schools do not have the ability to put resources towards the image of the industry. For years, the perception is that the hospitality business is low paying and managers are expected to work unreasonable hours. So again, that's part of the perception moving forward that needs to be changed and aligned perhaps with a marketing campaign and some, and some effective changes from, from restaurants and hotels. Um, somebody else comments too that every industry requires graduates to start up at the entry level. Why is ours considered a bad thing? Once again, we need to get in front of that line and tell our story. So a lot of need for the narrative, I think, to change on, on many fronts today um, is what I'm hearing. Um, as a way to wrap up, because we're getting close to 2.30, um, we've talked a lot about a lot of different things today, about labor shortages, about changes brought on by the pandemic, image problems. How confident are each of you about the future of the industry, given the last few challenging years? And this is something I'd like everybody to answer. So, Carl, let's start with you. Right. Okay. I am very confident. Yeah. I mean, I'm an optimist. I think... I think... Um, the industry, having worked in it for 20 years, is is very agile and, and flexible, and and sees um, and sees the opportunities. And 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 you know the the word innovation has been thrown around a lot, and and it is. It, you know a lot of small medium businesses rely on innovation to, to to stay in business, and I think that that's the backbone of of, of what we're doing here. Um, and and I think more and more closer alignment with education and more collaboration and more stronger communication with, with education is is something we can we can all strive for as, as, as partners in, in in facing the next the next few years and, and working through the next few years great uh, Stacia how confident are you um, challenging years is is an understate understatement for sure right it's it's We've been through a black swan event, right? One of those hugely disruptive, unprecedented global uh, occurrences. And when I look at our industry, I see such resilience that we are where we are with really positive signs of, of recovery. Um, and, and it's quite amazing. And, and 
leading that recovery are so many of our graduates across our schools that I think we, we can all look to with pride um, at the character and leadership that's been shown. And, um, and that's what gives me confidence. Fabulous. Lorraine, um, sorry, Mary Claire? Yes, same thing. I'm very confident because we are um, looking at uh, really a resilient industry. Uh, we in Quebec as well have a lot of uh, small um, and medium enterprise. So it seems that they are more agile or they recover faster, maybe. Uh, but uh, there's a diversity of way of recovering right now. And all I'm saying is that um, for our students that are in our classroom today, they have an opportunity that I didn't have when I started, which is to make a very fast and successful career as well. <laughs> so they, they can take all they can take from the school because they will need those skills when in the field because the, the progression is quite rapid. So I'm confident in the industry, yes. Wonderful. And Lorraine? I'm very optimistic um, because I think we're actually at a, at a critical, pivotal moment. Because think about what we've been through. Consumers across the country, us in the industry as consumers and other consumers, what are the two things they now understand are critical? Healthcare and hospitality. There's never been a time when what our industry delivers has been more missed and more motivating and, and the magic that brings us all back together. So I think this is a critical inflection point. Consumers are on our side. We have work to do, so let's get at it. A lot of work to do, but uh, I love the resilience and the optimism shared here today. Um, I'd like to wrap up as we started with COVID. I thought we could wrap up uh, with COVID. And I know the last two years, as we've mentioned, has, has, you know, been tumultuous for everybody. But I think everybody has walked away with some key learnings and lessons that we've all taken with us. And hopefully that makes us stronger and better, um, unless we all forget about history and just go on and do the same old thing again. But what are some of the key takeaways and lessons that you've learned through COVID as it pertains, A, to your personal life, but more, more importantly, for today's uh, context, to the professional life um, and, and the sector that you represent. So, uh, Carl, what has been some of your key lessons? What have been some of your key lessons? I've really understood the importance of scalability, <laughs> scaling up and scaling down. Um, from a program that, that's in a small city like Victoria, um, having a program that's, that's, that's financially sustainable and, and is able to adjust and adapt um, has been critical for the last two years. Um, leading a team of, of people that are flexible and, and willing to move and turn on a dime around public health orders um, is, is really, really critical. Um, definitely a big, a big step. Um, uh, and from a personal level, I think, I think it's, it's really built a lot of resilience in my leadership um, and leading a team to, to, to navigate this and and, and sharing that with students. I think, I think students love to, to hear those stories that it's not only they're, they're the ones that are in it as well, navigating, you're also doing it as well. So I think, um, yeah, it, it's been a big, a big, a big learning 
uh, a big lesson in, in, in adapt adaptation. Yeah, it's been very impressive on how quickly people have had to scale up and down throughout this period. So totally understand your comments. Uh, Marie-Claire, uh, what's been the biggest lessons for you? Yeah, same thing, adjustment, flexibility, um, empathy, support and empathy, and uh, innovation in group, in teams, together, together with the industry, together with the colleague, together with the student, make the student or the employees part of it. Fabulous. Stacia? Um, that education is not immune to shocks. And, um, but from the disruption, I think uh, looking at the positive has come great innovation and an investment in um, technology and platforms that had been needed for a long time. Um, so I think th this is another reason I'm hopeful coming out is I think that that, that will be there um, so that we can revision our programs for, for the future. Fabulous. And Lorraine, how about from your end? Well, I agree with my colleagues, but I, I will say that um, I think the surprises for me have been what I've learned as a leader. Um, uh, I'm, I'm shocked by how fast I've had to make decisions, fail and move on. Um, so, so I'm much more resilient and I'm hoping my team is much more resilient too in terms of failing and moving on. Um, and I take away forever the value of gratitude, which I know may sound a little hokey, but honestly, I am incredibly grateful for the efforts of our team in the thousand and one ways, shipping ingredients all over the country so students <laughs> could practice, doing videos in, in their home kitchens, um, you know, doing events virtually when they don't know how to use the software themselves, coming in and supporting students who are freaking out. I am so friggin' grateful for what everyone has done. Our industry partners staying open when they could barely afford it, paying, you know, using their ingredients to feed people. I'm overwhelmingly grateful. That was very well expressed and stated, uh, Lorraine. And I think, you know, over the last two years, what's amazed me the most is the, the range of creativity and the speed of change that was thrust on the industry. Um, you know, things that would have taken perhaps five, 10 years in the past mm -hmm. were just executed so quickly. And I think that speaks to the resilience of this industry on so many levels. And, um, and so now we can hopefully move forward and, and adopt and, and continue to change and evolve. I really want to thank everybody today for being part of the panel. I know it's a huge subject and we covered a lot of ground. I don't know if we answered all the questions, but that's gonna take some time. And I think we know it's gonna take a lot of cooperation from industry stakeholders. Uh, we can't look to the schools to solve all the problems, but we can look to them to be a, a big important partner um, with industry and with students to really uh, shift the narrative and really solve some of the problems that exist so that this industry can continue to grow and evolve every day. So uh, a big heartfelt thanks to all of you for taking time out of your busy schedule on a Friday afternoon, no less, um, during a very sunny spring-like day finally in Toronto for a first time in a long time. So um, I, I wish you all well and moving ahead and, uh, and we'll continue this conversation, I'm sure, time and time again. So thank you for your time and for your insights today.
Thank, thank you, you Rosanna, Rosanna, for giving us this opportunity. My pleasure. And thank you. Great to thank see you. my colleagues too. Yeah. I, You're I, also, I do want to also thank Rachel uh, from Tourism HR for being today's sponsor. You're doing some wonderful work um, to try to help industry stakeholders uh, find the solutions that we need. So we really appreciate their, their help and their support today being a sponsor. And thank you to all the attendees who took time out to watch this. I know everybody's got busy schedules, so we will be sending the link out to this video um, to all of our digital subscribers next week. And we will also be following up with a story in both magazines on this discussion so that we can continue to talk and to uh, come up with more solutions. So I just wanted to let everybody know about that. So um, that's it for me. Thank you again for your time and energies and have a wonderful weekend and we'll, uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Happy Thank weekend. You. Bye. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of the Table Talk podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to rate and review our show. Also, make sure you never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button. For additional resources related to today's episode, please visit our website, foodserviceandhospitality.com. Until next time.